Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, guys, welcome back to Nebraska Hawks Nest. I'm Adam. I'm joined by, I got, got a pretty long rap sheet here, 2004 Big Ten Player of the Year, 2005 Capital One Bowl MVP. I was at that game. Two-time Great Cup champion and Iowa Hawkeye legend, Drew Tate. How you doing, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm fantastic. It's it's an honor to be joined by one of, by one of the greatest Iowa quarterbacks of all time. Uh, really, really excited to have you here. Um, first of all, I think it's appropriate that we start out with um, telling um, all the Iowa fans out there, what what's Drew Tate up to right now? Where's his career focus? I know you're, um, you're coaching, I, I believe it's a new league, fan-controlled football. What are you doing with them and what's what's this league all about? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting deal to say the least. So I'm coaching tight ends, which it's awesome. It's actually, you know, there's, you know, and I mean, every Iowa fan, football fan knows about tight ends. It's tight end you. So it's actually really oh, cool yeah. to be able to be able to get to just, you know, be able to coach them, get in their heads, listen to them, how they've been coached and stuff like that. Cause it's, uh, you know, they're hybrids, you know, they can do both, right? They're, you know, they got to be an offensive lineman and they got to run routes. Um, so there's that. And then, yeah, like you said, the FCF, the fan controlled football, which is a hell of a concept. It's an interesting deal. It's on Twitch, the app, the app Twitch. Okay. And they have, it's, uh, you know, and they've got, they've got, they got a lot of backing apparently. And, uh, this has been going on and this has been in the works. They said, I think since for like seven years, six years. So okay. yeah, and I had never heard of this. I had not heard of this. I was coaching in the spring league in the San Antonio in November. October, November, and there there was a high school coach that was buddies with my dad that I recognized there, and I started talking to him, and he said, hey, I said, what the hell are you doing here, you know? He said, I'm doing this for this league. I'm scouting players, blah, 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 blah. I said, no kidding. I said, all right, well, I mean, if they're looking for coaches or something, you know, please throw my name in. He said he would, and basically it is what it is. Fans control, you know, they pick the uniforms. They pick the team. There's a draft every Wednesday, and so, you know, and, 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 and let me give you information about Twitch because I didn't know shit about Twitch, and so okay. Twitch is basically – a social media app but it's for gaming purposes so you know i mean like uh ryan's toys every kid in the world watches this kid play with his toys apparently like that's just something people do i don't get it kids do it i don't, I don't know 
Yeah, but it'd blow you away. Every kid I know knows who Ryan is, and they just want to watch him play with his toys. Well, <laughs> apparently there's a market for humans that that do the same thing on this Twitch app that want to call plays and football and stuff. And so it's an interesting deal, you know. So there's one coaching staff coaching about 85 players. So if everyone runs the same system and then the fans vote, you know, they break these 85 players into four teams, basically. And then uh, and then the fans are given a playbook, you know, specific plays in certain situations that they can they can choose from. And so that's what they do. And the only issue with it, I mean, it's been going pretty well. We've had two games now. It's gone pretty well. The only problem is in between plays is about a minute because it takes a while for, a guess, I guess, you know, for someone to hit a button over in Asia and then it gets wired over to Peru and then it shoots up to L.A. and then it shoots over to Atlanta, you know, so it takes okay. a minute, I guess. So, And that's where we are right now. We're based in Atlanta. And uh, so and it's it's only a three month deal, I believe we I got here just after New Year's and then we're here until pretty much April. And so the idea for them, they want to do it every three months. And I think, and and it was supposed to be in Vegas, but then, you know, they were like, hell, you can't, that might be hard to keep uh, because we're actually in a bubble here in Atlanta. They said it might be a little too hard to keep the guys in a bubble in Vegas. And I said, yeah, probably so. Um, uh, But so, yeah. So, and and this is just a startup. I mean, you know, like I said, there's a lot of backing though, apparently like Verizon and, you know, sponsors like that, Progressive and stuff like that, Wendy's. And so, you know, it's a start. They want to eventually get to like fan controlled baseball, you know, and stuff like that. They want to get to eventually, you know, that's where they like to go with it. I think it's something they need like 400,000 followers after the first season. And then that, that would be, if they can get that they can then like, I guess the next few years are planned out. So I'm doing it right now. I actually, um, I'm working on my certification actually for to teach and coach in high school in Texas. So when I get done with this in April, I actually have a job back in my hometown in Baytown, but at the other high school, which is just hilarious, is where my mom taught. So they're going to coach and teach there, and then they're going to see it in the state of Texas. You know, and I don't know how it is everywhere else, but as long as you're enrolled in a, a, a an alternative certification program, as long as you're enrolled in one, a school will hire you. And then they'll pay everything, you know, they pay for it and stuff. So it comes out of your check. But at yeah. least, you know, you don't have to do a student teaching or anything like that, like waste a year. Like, no, you can get hired. You get paid. You'll get paid half your salary pretty much because they're paying for your uh, your certification. But, I mean, it gets me in the classroom. It gets me on the field. I can start teaching and coaching. And then, um, and then yeah, and then off, we're off running. That sounds that sounds really interesting. Um, what what class? Do you know what subjects you're going to be teaching, or what positions you're going to be coaching in high school? Yeah, I'm not sure on the teaching part yet. It's either going to be PE or special ed, and then coaching. I'm either going to coach quarterbacks, or I'm going to be the offensive coordinator. Apparently, so okay. I'm hoping hoping the coordinator thing happens because I really want to run my own offense. And uh, and then yeah, and then uh, and then there she blows. See what happens. Do you have any 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 kind of idea like what type of offense you're gonna you're gonna really want to run as a coach? Uh, well, in a perfect world, I'd like to be balanced, but uh, you know. Football is not a perfect world, and and to me, it's all about evaluating. You know, I mean, I, I think it would be, you know, I don't, I just don't think it would be very smart to just walk into this high school and say, "This is what we're going to run." Boom, boom, yeah. boom, boom. Like, no, I want to come in. Like, I haven't. I know what I want to do, but what I want to do does it fit? 
you know, the personnel fit what fit our guys. So it's yeah. really hope I have an opportunity that to where, you know, there's like I can I can be there in the summer, watch these guys do seven on seven, see who can throw, see who can catch, see who can run, see who can block. Can these quarterbacks process? Are they not processors? I mean, do they need a one two read or can they do a progression read, one, two, three? So there's a lot of those things you got to find out of your players. You know, uh, I learned, my first job was coaching for Joe Moglia in Coastal Carolina, and I don't know if you know who Joe Moglia is, but he's yeah. a billionaire. He was a yeah. CEO of TD Ameritrade. I mean, the story is just unheard of, and uh, and that's what I learned from him. He said, if the player's not understanding, it's not the player's fault. It's your fault as a coach for not explaining it to him and teaching him the way that he learns best. And so that stuck with me ever since, and it, and it it sh- and it will stick with me for the rest of time. And that's what I'm saying. I think you have to really evaluate on what you got, you know, find their strengths, find their weaknesses, and then go from there. Yeah, and that coach does have a really interesting story about his life and and where he came from. So that's and that's really interesting too. Like what you said that you know all the the coaches that have the quickest success are the ones that you know get their schematics based upon the personnel they have, just like you said. So that's a, that's a great plan. So we wish you nothing but the best in that. And I we all know you're going to have success, Drew. So you know, good luck with that. And we're going to look forward to watching you and keep keeping our eye on on how you're doing down there um want to want to circle back uh to um a little bit more of the beginnings with your recruitment process at a high school um originally we're committed to texas a&m had some interest from houston and baylor um ended up obviously at iowa uh tell tell us a little bit about your recruitment process uh what went into decommitting from texas a&m and what made you end up choosing the hawkeyes Another good question. So uh, the summer going into my junior year, and I, and I know you, I'm sure you know what seven on seven is, right? Yeah. Yep. And so, you know, seven on seven is huge. And my dad actually is the one who started it back in 1996. It's an incredible story. Uh, but so in the summer of 2001, I hadn't even played it down yet in my junior year. And we go to College Station because they held the state championship 707 tournament, you know, 64 teams from all over the state, I believe. And, man, we just kicked everyone's ass. I mean, we were flying high, and we had really good skill. We had a good scheme. And then, I mean, I was coming into my own as a junior. I was able to spin it pretty good. And uh, and so we just kicked everyone's ass. And uh, the summer before, I went, I went to a Purdue quarterback football camp because I wanted to go to Purdue really bad because I was a big friend of Drew Brees. I saw him play in high school and they threw the ball all over the yard. They did exactly what we did in high school. So, and there was a guy named Kevin Sumlin. I'm sure you've heard his name before. Well, he was the receiver coach at the time for Purdue, but he recruited the Houston area. So he had a relationship with my dad. And so I wanted to go to Purdue. I wanted to go to Purdue. Well, that next summer, the summer of 2001, he gets hired on by R.C. Slocum as assistant head coach, receiver coach. He wasn't the coordinator yet. The quarterback coach was the coordinator, Dino Babers, who you probably know his name. He's a Syracuse. Uh-huh. Um, so we go there. We kick everyone's ass in seven on seven. Boom, they offer me a scholarship. And I was one of the first juniors, I think, at the time back then. This was 2001, you know, that they were offering and then committing at that time. And so A&M was two hours away from my hometown. Um, same colors, maroon. Loved the stadium, loved, you know, uh, everything about it football-wise. And they had uh, they had vision going ahead. You know, they were going to build more things. They were going to do more offensively because, you know, the wrecking crew, if you remember who that was, that was their defense. Yeah. And they always had just a balanced offense. It was just kind of here or there, you know, maybe scoring, you know, 20 points a game or something like that. Well, when they hired, uh, when they hired Summy, he wanted to implement, you know, Purdue, spread it out. I mean, you got all these athletes in Texas. Let's use them, right? So, you know, we were going to do that. Well, it took him until the, my senior year 
they demoted Dino and then they and then they moved Summy in. And as soon as Summy came in, they started throwing it all over the yard. They were doing Purdue was. And so I was all excited to go. Well then hell, he uh, RC gets fired my senior year around December. Well let me let me backtrack. So before RC gets fired, uh and Carl Jackson, I'm sure you know who he, he was the running back coach at Iowa. Well, yeah. he's from Texas and all that. My dad was coaching in Iowa in the seventies. And met Carl in the seventies when Carl first got on staff there was the Hayden early. So they had already had a relationship there. They knew each other. Dick comes to Texas, um, starts coaching high school. Well, Carl recruits Texas. So they kept their relationship. Well, in November, Carl called down to my dad and said, Hey, I've heard, you know, the RC might be on the hot seat. If so, is Drew committed to A&M or would he be looking to go elsewhere? And so, I mean, I told my dad, I said, well, shit, if RC gets fired, that means Summy's gone. And so I said, that offense is gone. I said, well, then I'm not interested. And then they brought in Dennis Francione, who ran the uh, the option and all that. And, I mean, with all due respect, I had heard – I mean, I talk – you know, people talk about, you know, coaches and other players and stuff. And I had heard from other players that they did not – they didn't prefer to – they didn't want to play for them. They didn't like them or whatever. And uh, okay. so I said, well, that's all I needed to hear. Shit, they run the option and they don't like this guy. I'm out. So so that was it. So it was like December. I committed of my senior year and I was I was uh, I was I was set to graduate December to enroll in January. And so when the when they fired RC, so that whole that whole AM was done. And then so then I was kind of like, well, damn, am I going to graduate? Because I don't even know what school I'm going to now. Um, popped up to Iowa for a visit. Uh, it was during their bowl prep in the Orange Bowl there, and man, I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with Coach Ferentz, fell in love with Iowa City, and then really just the locker room of guys. Like I had great hosts, and just being around. Like the first guy I met was Dave Rye, you know, and, and Dave Rye now is you know he's about to be a head coach soon, and uh, and so I just fell in love with Dave Rye. My host was Ed Hinkle and C.J. Barkham. I fell in love with those guys, and. And then I saw the quarterbacks, and I got to watch practice, and I said, well, shit, I mean, if this guy is a Heisman, or Brad Banks, I was like, if this guy's over the Heisman, like, I felt like I threw better than him at that time. I'm like, if this guy's over the Heisman, then I'm going to win the damn Heisman. You know, that's how I felt. I was a hothead as a high school senior. Like, And then I saw these other quarterbacks, I'm like, no, I could play right now. Like, And and so, I mean, it was a Big Ten, you know, and I love the Big Ten. Watched them all the time as a kid, and so you know the tradition and everything. I said, "Well, shit, let's do this. Like, let's go to Iowa." But I didn't, I didn't commit until January, and so it was. I think it was too late at that time, and so I went back to school. I only had two classes really. It was to keep me eligible so I could play baseball, and that was the other thing. I was going to go to A and M and play football and baseball. So I mean, I was really geeked about doing that because they got they had a good baseball program. Yeah, and uh, so I was real geeked about that. So then when I went to Iowa, um, yeah. And that's how I basically ended up at Iowa. Small world, crazy. Uh, word is you were a pretty, pretty damn good baseball player. Have you ever thought back, like, ah, man, how things maybe would have shaken out different if you would have played baseball too, maybe at Iowa or, or just played baseball? Because you know, doing my research, you're a pretty damn good baseball player. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you know, they talk about regrets in life. I mean. I've said a lot of things. I've done a lot of things, but I mean, that's shaped me to who I am, but I only have one regret in my life. And that was quitting baseball. I should never quit baseball. And, uh, um, and, and here's another funny story. So, you know, I'm going through my freshman year, uh, at Iowa, you know, I become the backup and all that stuff. And I got game, I got some, some reps as a true freshman, which, you know, hadn't happened in Kirk Ferentz's era up to the time. 
And so I was like, shit, I'm going to be the quarterback next year. And so I leave, we leave after the Outback Bowl. I go back home, you know, for Christmas and then I shoot up. Well, when I shoot up to Iowa, I had already talked to these baseball players and stuff. And so I said, well, man, I'm going to go, I'm going to go try to talk to their coach about getting on and just like, man, let me, like, I'm already on scholarship. Like, let me play baseball. I want to play baseball. And so when I went in to go, when I went in to tell coach Doyle this, he had different plans. He said, <laughs> he said, if I want to be the starting quarterback for the Iowa Hawkeyes, I will not play baseball. And so at that time I was already, you know, two feet in the, be the starting quarterback at Iowa. So I was like, well, fuck it. Like, all right, we're going to go play football then. And, and so sometimes I do think like I should have stood up and shook his hand and said, thank you, coach. This isn't the place for me. And then walked out. Like I had, yeah. I mean, I, you know, that is my only regret, but I wouldn't trade it. I'll tell you this. Uh, I would have, if I would have went straight baseball, I would have only thought about playing football. So I'm, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, cause I'm, I'm yeah. a football guy first. And then I played baseball because I liked baseball and it was a spring sport. Like that was it. Like, so football was number one. And I just know if I would have went straight baseball, I would, I would have been empty. I wouldn't have had, I would have, there would have been something wrong and I would have tried to come back. But like I said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it right now knowing what I know and stuff like that. Well, I don't know, you know, baseball, it's less injuries and more money. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, there, there, there is that, there's that equation too. You always got to think about, but no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade, you know, my experience at Iowa or anything. Absolutely not. Things worked out pretty darn good for you. So yeah, that's, yeah. That is true. Tell us a little bit. Um, I'm going way off script on the questions because I just think of all these other ones when we get to talking. Um, yeah. with, with Coach Doyle, how was your relationship with Coach Doyle and the strength and conditioning program? We had all the you know things that came up over the summer and everything, mm-hmm. and um, you know everyone seems to have a very strong opinion about it. Um, you know, what was your experiences in the strength and, and conditioning uh, area in the weight room and working with the coaching staff there? Yeah, no, that's another good question. Um, and first off, I just, it was, uh, it was just a shitty deal and I feel bad for a lot of people and I'm sorry that that happened to a lot of people. Um, it, it, you know, the change, the world changes and moves fast as you know it. So, uh, and it's just crazy how that happened, but, uh, So before, like in high school, I never lifted weights. Like my first two years in high school. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Well, I played nine sports. My last two years, I played two sports. So I never really had time to work out, and I just didn't like working out. I liked to be outside running, throwing, doing something. So when I got to Iowa, I was just absolutely blown away. Like strength conditioning 
And I didn't, you know, you learn it pretty quick when you play football at Iowa. That's the backbone of the program. And uh, and I remember seeing Mo Brown as a freshman, Bob Sanders and Robert Gallery, and I'm just thinking like, damn, like look at these guys. Like I'm never gonna play, and if I do play, I'm gonna, I might die. Like just didn't, you know, didn't think my body would hold up. And so, you know, when I'm, I'm in the weight room, because usually when I was in high school working out, like, yeah, you just go in there, you do a couple of weights or whatever. But like, no, like you are so engaged and locked in at a workout, just doing the warm up and just how intense it was. So, like I said, you learn really quick about what the strength conditioning means to the program and how they approach it. And, uh, and then, you know, you fall in line and you watch the seniors and the, and the upperclassmen and see how serious they took working out, which I never took working out serious. Like it was just, oh yeah, I'll just go work out. Right. Like, yeah. But, uh, so that was a, that was definitely a culture shock for me at the beginning, but I fell in love with it actually. Like the intensity about working out. And, and then by the time I was done, I had the, the hang clean record for quarterbacks. You know what I mean? So, I mean, that was actually pretty cool. Right. Like, I mean, I showed up at like a buck 65, you know, like my freshman year. Um, I'll tell you what, I mean, personally, Doyle, I love Doyle. Um, I, what he did for me and then the teams that I was on, I mean, it wasn't just the strength conditioning part. It was a mindset uh-huh. and, and the mindset that he uh, bestowed on us as players is the reason I believe why we were able to do the things we were as a team those early years for coach Ferentz at the, at the university. Um, uh, you know, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I can't personally say there was ever a time where it's like, Oh my God, like, did he just say that? Like, no, yeah. but I mean, like, you know, I mean, it's no, like he would treat people no different than the seniors would treat freshmen. You know, you just kind of say things, you pick on them a little bit. I mean, if a guy can't handle that, how the hell is he going to handle a Saturday afternoon in Kinnick stadium? We're on the road, Ohio state. You know what I mean? Like think about that. Right. Like, so, I mean, like, and these guys that come and say, well, I couldn't do my hair and I couldn't do this and that. Well, shit. I, I got kicked out of workouts because I didn't wear the right shirt. I did, I got kicked out of the workouts because I had the wrong socks on. You know what I mean? Like, I, I yeah. mean, I did, but you know what? I, I took it as this. This guy was here before me, and he's probably going to be here after me. This is their program. I'm just a visitor coming in. That's how I saw it. So, you know, I mean, say what you want to say. People have different opinions about it and mindsets about it. But at the end of the day, I mean – he was there before we all got there and he was there when we all left, you know what I mean? And so, and that's his weight room. I mean, if you can't yeah. handle it, I mean, to me, Hey, go kick rocks. Iowa football programs, not for everyone. It is yeah. not for everyone. And, and I'll be honest with you. I mean, I don't even think they would recruit me right now. Like, cause I'm just, I have a different personality and stuff like that. I don't think that they would recruit me right now. I really don't, you know, they want the, the six, four quarterbacks, you know, the, the you know the good students the good samaritans you know the all-american boy i mean yeah i mean that's good but that just ain't me like it's yeah. just you know i I'm, I'm just me and you know and i don't apologize for me at all i mean hell the last big 10 ring you got i was the quarterback for the team right so hell yeah I mean, so i mean you know that's the way it is, you know, uh, just, you know, with all due respect now and i, and I mean it all in in good caring too and uh oh yeah but um, but I, the strength conditioning part to me was just from the moment I walked in until I left, it changed me as a man, as a student, as a player. I mean, everything. I mean, it was, uh, you know, and I hope that those guys, you know, you know, this last year was really weird with that. Plus the COVID, you know, I just hope that uh, 
I'm sure Ray, you know, Ray was there whenever I was there. And so, I mean, and Ray was great. So, you know, my only question is, I mean, is they still going to have that edge and mindset? I hope so, because really that's Iowa in itself. Like I've gone around a lot of colleges, you know, like talking to coaches and talking to people and this and that. And everyone's always like, Iowa, like, how do, how do they do it? How do they do it? And and, and I'm, I tell them every time, I mean, Iowa is an anomaly. It's just, it's, it only works at Iowa. They have two things at Iowa in my opinion, that they don't have anywhere else in the rest of the country. Well, three things, coach parents being one, but two, the farmer's mentality and the wrestler mentality. Like those are deadly, deadly mindsets in a human body, especially if he's six, five and he's athletic. I yeah. mean, just think about it. Right. Like, so, so, you know, you don't, you know, wrestling, you know, I know it's big in the Midwest and the Northeast, but you know, I, I mean, they have wrestling in Texas, but it's just not big here. You know, or I think they have it here in Atlanta, too, or Georgia. But it's just, you know, kids grow up. I mean, as soon as they can walk, they start wrestling in Iowa. You know, is what I, how I kind of learned it. It's like throwing footballs in Texas, right? Like, or throwing baseballs or something. It's just, you know, you have that. And then, like, the farming attitude. I mean, these guys are up at the crack of dawn every day at 4 o'clock. Hell, I mean, I'd bitch and complain having to go to an 8 o'clock <laughs> workout. You know, I'm like, man, can we just sleep in more? Like, nope. Like, I lived with Mike Elgin and Brian Ryder. Those guys were up every morning at, like, 5 o'clock making eggs and sausage and stuff like it was like dude just go back to sleep (laughs) they don't they don't they all they know is hard work and and that's iowa you know they're gonna outwork people um you know because you always say like how do these guys win they don't have any skill you know they don't have guys get drafted skill positions really get drafted only you know safeties and corners you know no receivers barely any running backs um it's it's just it's like I said, it's just an anomaly. It only works there and just in, in the way it's run and with the mindset and culture, it just, it's a perfect fit. Well, it, with every former player that we've interviewed, um, your answer was very consistent with everybody's. Everyone has uh, really reiterated. It was the Iowa way. That's the, it was for everybody. There was no special treatment, but there was just certain people that could handle it and certain people that couldn't. And uh, so, you know, you, you really, hit that on the head based upon what everybody else um everyone else had said that we have talked to um wanted to ask you too um this was another question we really wanted to talk about and you brought it up so i really wanted to hit on this um you were uh a part of that last big 10 championship team that we had um we've gotten close a few times since then, but haven't been able to do it. What key ingredients do you feel like as a program that Iowa is missing? Because I can't think of any other coach in the country other than Kirk Barron's that has the reputation that he has and that's respected as much as he has. But to keep it real, he hasn't won a conference championship in about 16 years since back when you were there. What are your thoughts on what we need to do to get back to a, another Big Ten championship? It's, you know, it's... I'm not one of those guys that sit in the stands and just starts saying and pointing, you know, I'm not there. Um, So I don't know personally. I I can, I can tell you this because I learned this when I was playing in Canada to get something you've never have, you've you've never had, you got to do something you've never done. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and I learned that and I believe in it. Um, The Iowa way is the Iowa way. And, you know, they don't deviate much from that. Now, to go back to your question, the only time that I can remember them being close was in Indianapolis when it took the most 
unknown to mankind drive. I mean, it was like a 10 minute drive or some shit like that from Michigan yeah. state. That's what they had to do to beat Iowa, to keep them from getting a ring. Like, I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. I mean, I was there, I got to watch it and all that stuff and I, and I couldn't believe it. And so, you know, I mean, it, and it was that close now, I, now to be, to go back to, I just think the big 10 now is just stronger than it's ever been. You know, like the teams are good in the Big Ten, especially in the East. They are damn good in the East. You know, you got in the West, Iowa's extremely consistent. Wisconsin is damn good. And then Northwestern is scrappy as hell. Other than that, you know, I mean, it's just kind of – and I'm just saying this as a, as a you know, as a spectator watching. You know, Minnesota doesn't really do it for me. Nebraska sure as shit doesn't do it for me. <laughs> Illinois doesn't do anything for me either. So you really just got those three teams, Northwestern, Michigan, and Iowa, that are going to be close. But out East, I mean, to me, you know – Michigan doesn't do it for me either. Like they've got, they've fallen off. You know, I think Michigan State's fallen off, but you got Ohio State who is just better than good. I mean, they are damn good and they are just loaded at every position. And then from a schematic point, I mean, they just, their schemes are good. They're, they have really good schemes that fit their personnel. You know, Penn State fell off recently. Rutgers might come back, but they were, they were in the dungeon house. And then Maryland might step up with something. But uh, again, you know, and Iowa has a way of recruiting people. And that's why I go back to, you know, to get something you never had, you got to do something you've never done. Like, you know, and Hayden Fry said this a long time ago, you recruit your problems. Very true. But the team, the best teams that I've been on in my life has had thugs. And I know it might sound crazy, but thugs are tone setters. Mm. I believe you need a few thugs. I don't believe you need a whole, you know, a whole roster of them because that nothing, you won't get anything out of that. But if you get a few thugs in there now, the few thugs, you know, they kind of police things on their own and they're tone setters, like I said, but thugs don't fit the Iowa way. And so, you know, it's just going to have to be one of those things where they're just going to have to be solid. You're going to have to have a lot of depth and then they're just going to have to just punch people in the mouth to win, I think, you know, because, you know, I don't see Iowa doing offensively what Ohio State's doing, you know, or Minnesota or Penn State or anything like that. You know, they have your traditional 6'4 drop back quarterback, you know what I mean? And so. You can win with that, absolutely. It's just, you know, to me, I like options and I like variety. So, you know, I want guys that can do multiple things, not just one thing. That makes no. sense. Because yeah. this isn't pro football. This is college football. So, to me, you know, you can use all your pieces really well and do things. Pro football, I mean, Tom Brady, he's not going to run the option, right? Because he's Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Aaron. I mean, those guys are professional quarterbacks that are really good, like – but in college, to me, I think you can you can give so many different looks and use everything that you got the best that they can be used. I mean, that's just my opinion about it. Yeah, that's always been a curious thing that why we've never really since, you know, you or <clears throat> Brad Banks haven't really had a quarterback that can take off and run with it. So that's um, it really eliminates a whole facet of the offense that a lot of teams have that we're not able to provide. So um, that's that's a really good point. That was a really good answer. So um appreciate that. Wanted to ask you uh, a little bit about your relationship with your stepdad. Um, it's something that I think a lot of people um, see themselves in uh, how he, um, how, how did he affect your life and, and how did he really ignite your passion for football? That's a good question too. I mean, well, he changed my life and my family's life. I mean, coming in, my mom was a single mother with two kids, and uh, she was teaching in Eisenhower High School in Houston, Texas, and then he was the coach there. And, uh, and yeah, so, you know, they just 
they got together that all, you know, so that all worked out. And then at that time in the, it was like 1990, uh, they had a rule that a married couple couldn't teach in the same building. So then he left and went to Baytown and then my mom came and then went to Sterling, the other high school. And so, but I mean, you know, I can still remember when I was six years old and I went with my mom to an Eisenhower game and Eisenhower had the same exact colors and uniforms as the Iowa Hawkeyes. That's what's freaking crazy about it. And he's from Iowa. He's from Cedar Rapids. He played quarterback at UNI and then coached in Clinton, Iowa in the seventies. And and so, you know, and so he, when he got to Eisenhower, he did what Hayden did. You know, he, you know, he, uh, I think he designed his own low, his own, his own, uh, there were the Eisenhower Eagles, I believe. And he designed his own little eagle, you know, at the same unis, just as, you know, the gold pants, black stripe, black jersey, yellow stripe on the shoulder. And so I just fell in love with it. I was like, man, look at these guys. Like, and you're in a football stadium, you know, they had, it was green turf and it was night. So the light is shining on the green turf and you got these just gladiators going at it. And I just fell in love with it. I thought it was the coolest thing. And so I would always go up to the coach's office. I'd go to practices, watch film with him and everything. I mean, it didn't take long for me to be sold. I mean, it was awesome. And I was very privileged and lucky and blessed to have him come into our life and then have the football thing take off. I mean, it was, it was just – it's kind of like a like a movie script in a way. Yeah. Uh, it's it's pretty cool that you know the more research you do and the more you see that you guys have a real special bond and and that that it's really cool to see how he affected your life and really just um you know nurtured your your love for football and, and really uh, got that into your system at an early age so yeah. um what what's he up to yeah. what's he what's he up to these days well he's well he's retired he he has an all star game called the Bayou Bowl and it, and it started my senior year. Actually, he got it going, and it was Texas versus Louisiana. And so they did that for the first few years, and then they got tired of dealing with Louisiana because the people in Louisiana just weren't – they didn't have proper etiquette. And okay. so, uh, you know, they're from Louisiana, so they look different. And so they said – so he said, all right, well, screw Louisiana. We're just going to do a Houston Bayou Bowl. It'll be East versus West Houston. And so they've had it every year since 03. They've done a hell of a job. This last year it got canceled because of COVID, So he, but he still runs that, and he still wants to be involved. Um, but he doesn't want to coach, I don't think. You know, he doesn't want to do any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. The one thing, he cannot work for anyone because his problem – which is a gift and a curse to me was he had been the ball. He coached for like, he started at Cedar Rapids wash where he, where he played high school, like right when he got done graduating in the sixties. And then his last, at the end of the six in like late 60s, 68 or something like that, 69. And then his last coaching job was 2011. And, uh, but he was an assistant and see, he was only, he was a head. He was only a, an assistant. After coaching like 40-something years, he was only an assistant for five years. So think about that. You're always the boss, right? So you really really don't know what it's like to work for someone. So, you know, like his messages and how he is, I mean, it's great. I mean, he's he's extremely knowledgeable and stuff. But when you go to him and you say, Dad, like, I got to work with this guy, this guy, he's got an opinion right off the bat. But I don't know if you want to – I don't know if you sold me on that opinion because he hasn't been in that position to where he's got to work for someone and have someone tell him what to do. He's not He's not like that. You know, these old heads, you know, you can't tell – you can't teach an old dog new trick. And he is definitely one of them. <laughs> no, that's that makes a ton of sense. Um, wanted to ask you also about one of your biggest games as an Iowa Hawkeye that I was lucky enough to be at. It was my first bowl game ever. Um, I was a Iowa Hawkeye fan before that. I grew up in Des Moines. 
this game really um, got it in my blood. I became a super fan after that and just a diehard Hawkeye fan because it was such an amazing moment. Uh, can you walk us through um, a little bit about that that Capital One Bowl, um, what it was like to play a team that was coming off a national championship? I believe it was Nick Saban's last game. And then we saw a little bit there at the end of the game, uh, a young Jamarcus Russell who you know would become – one of the biggest disappointments in NFL right. draft history, but right. can you walk us through that game a little bit? And, and um, some of us have heard, but for people that haven't, it's extremely interesting to really talk about that final drive and you're in it. You're not really being allowed to call a timeout there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was just really geeked to play the LSU because I'm from Houston and Baton Rouge was only about four hours away. And I had friends that went there and I wanted to go there too, to be honest with you, to play football and baseball because they were great programs. So I was really geeked to play them. Like you said, they were defending national champs, which made it even better. Like I was stoked to play them. Um, uh, I was excited to play, yeah, against Nick Saban because, I mean, he was, he wasn't the Nick Saban at that time like he is now, but he was damn good. And so, uh, and then I had a buddy that played for him who couldn't stand him, but, uh, but respected him, you know. And so, uh, so that was just, I was just geeked to play in that game against those guys. Uh, yeah, I mean, the whole week was really fun. Um, it was a, Orlando was great. It was a great time being out there. Uh, and then, yeah, playing the game, I mean, it was, I mean, it was unbelievable. We had always travel well in the bowl games. Iowa did. And so it was awesome to see our fans and LSU travels really well too. And so you know, it was a packed house. Uh, and it was a hell of a game. I mean, they were really damn good. They had a lot of good players on both sides of the ball. You know, we just won the special teams battle really. And then we were able to just get lucky there at the end, but you know, they were, they were pretty damn good. And uh, they came back on us late in the game. I know that, um, you know, we were pretty good the first half and then they came back in the second half and they put Jamarcus in. He brought him back, did a pretty good job. Uh, but, I mean, you know, other than that, yeah, that last drive, we knew that we just needed a field goal. And Schlicker had a good year, was having a good year that year. So, you know, we weren't worried about it. It was just let's get a good return out of Walner and then um, and then let's set up shop. We just need a field goal. I think we had two timeouts. Excuse me. And, uh, you know, we came out, threw a pass, completed one, um, tried to run another play, I think, to uh, to spike it. Or no, it was two plays. I think we ran two plays, um, and then we ended up spiking it. Well, hell, yeah. they call a penalty because, you know, they spotted the ball and blew the whistle. So, yeah, yeah. boom, we, we we down it, right? But then they want to throw a penalty because the chain crew wasn't ready. Well, shit, that's not our problem. You spotted the ball and blew the whistle. Like, yeah. So so that's probably, you know, that, that's where the karma probably started right there. We got screwed on that one. And then, uh, and then yeah, so then the next play, we all thought, you know, that the clock would run on the snap. Well, hell, as we're breaking the huddle, guy saying, uh, hey, clock's running, clock's running. So we're like, shit. So I started yelling, last play, last play. So we line up, we run the play. And it was uh, it was the same play that I hit uh, Clinton Solomon on the touchdown earlier in the game. We were in a three by one, and you know we were having three verticals to the field, the glance backside, and they brought Will free safety. So boom, we're hot, two to the back. So we you know this slant adjustment there, and Clinton was able to catch it, and then um, Chandler was able to put a good block on the corner that was on Clinton, which sprung him on. So it was the same exact thing, except they brought you know the same formation, same play. They still brought the Will free safety, but the free safety came from depth. 
So I actually had time. So I looked because I, I saw him come, but he was in the throwing lane in the slant for Clinton, and Clinton was getting jammed up pretty good. So, you know, after the guy saying, you know, after us saying last play, last play, I said, well, shit, I'm just going to try to run to the right, outrun that free safety that's coming free on the backside, just throw it up as far as I can. And hell, I took like one or two steps to the right, and and uh, and Warren's guy just went off to the flat, just took off. And so, damn. So I just launched it, and I initially thought I overthrew it. And then as I could see the ball in the air and, and, and Warren, Hinkle was outside as the number one receiver. And so he was trying to fight off the corner because I was thinking the corner was just going to fold in and like bat it down or pick it off or something. So Ed, so if Ed doesn't like block him and hold him off, shit, I mean, it's a different ending to that game. But Warren was able to catch it and just walk in and, you know, the guy hit him in the helmet or whatever. But another thing, I mean, it was a, it was a movie script. You couldn't write it, you know. Uh, and that was, yeah, you know, talk about timeouts. Like, hell, we were all like, are we going to call a timeout? Like, you know, and then they're on the sideline doing whatever they were doing on the sideline. I don't know what they were doing. Like, but, you know, didn't want to call a timeout. And so I said, all right, well, shit, this is it then. And worked out. Got lucky. Sure as hell did. That was Warren's first touchdown, wasn't it? First touchdown as a fifth-year senior, his last play. How about that? Man, see, that's the movie part of the movie script, too. That's awesome. Awesome. Um, when we were in the stands, I, I remember as the play is breaking down and the clock's running, I hear somebody off to my right say, we drove 22 hours all the way down here. We're going to freaking lose. And then the play started to develop, and I hear somebody else yell, he's wide open. And you, And after the play was over, your family was at the game and they were about three rows in front of me and uh, they were holding up, I believe these cards that had drew spelled across it and right up in front of us. Do you remember that? No, I don't, but I I remember they had some stuff or something. Yeah. 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 They had them hanging up and I don't remember who it was, but a guy that was in your family, I don't know if it was an uncle or who it was, got popped in the nose and was bleeding. (laughs) celebrating because everybody was yeah yeah they were flailing and going wild and he's turning around yelling at everyone with blood on his face going uh he's going like he's got more more years to come baby more years to come (laughs) screaming and yelling it was it was awesome yeah that's cool and i like hearing everyone's stories about it because it's just crazy stories you know like guys you know dropping their babies and stuff like that (laughs) like just funny stories so funny oh man it was awesome that was one of the best parts of the ending was like, you know, seeing them and just the mass chaos in the stands afterwards. Yeah. I think half the people had like full glasses of soda and mixed drinks, bringing in airplane shooters. And those went up in the air and we were just like covered with stuff. So it was great. It was great. Yeah. Was awesome. And the image you running off the field with your helmet in the air, that was a pretty, pretty amazing. Something that we'll never forget. Um, something that was a little bit more, um, not as fun uh, in the Outback Bowl. Um, 2006 uh, started down by about 17 points, came back big time, had a really strong comeback. And I was lucky enough to be able to beat at that game as well. Um, and got a real, maybe one of the worst officiated games in NCAA history that I can ever remember. Um, I remember reading after that game, that officiating crew got suspended uh, after that, um, <laughs> and that bogus offsides call, I want to say they were Conference USA referees. Exactly and, what they were. Okay, okay. And 
they, they got suspended after that. I don't know for how long, but it was for a while because there were so many blown calls in that game. Um, can you walk us through a little bit about the development of that game, how that went, and then that frustrating offsides call, which was a bogus call, uh, replayed a million times. I don't know how you're going to throw an offsides when it's blatantly not an offsides. Um, what didn't close? No, but it, it wasn't, wasn't even close. close. Like that's no. that's the crazy. That's why I'm like, all right, there's something else going on here. Like, yeah, that just doesn't make any sense to throw a flag right there. Well, it just looked like you know, from a lot of people's perspective, even people that weren't Iowa Hawkeye fans, that there's some shady stuff going on there. Yeah, that all the calls that happened throughout that game. I mean, there's yeah. YouTube videos and things that have been made about that game about all the blatantly blown calls and the lack of policy with those officials. They did not follow any typical policy. Um, but it's also weird how stuff like that gets swept under the rug and you don't really hear about it after that. You know what I mean? But well, you know, know. <laughs> it's, it's, it was ridiculous and it was crap. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, how it was playing in that game. Uh, the frustration in the beginning, um, kind of, you know, getting hit right away with some turnovers and, you know, storming back only to have it ripped away from you because you didn't know you had to play two teams, Florida and the referees. I thought you just had to focus on the Gators that day. Yeah, no. Uh, I mean, that game, yeah. I mean, like you said, it started off – we started off a little slow, but uh, we were able to get momentum in the second half. Um, but like you said, I mean, there was calls in the first half. And, you know, that's going to happen. I, I, and that was the thing, you know, Coach Ferentz, I remember them telling us, hey, control only what you can control, your performance, your execution, you know, your mindset. You can't control what these slap dicks do with their flags. I mean, real talk, right? I mean, yeah. just, there's nothing you can do about it. And, you know, as a as a college kid then, like, I didn't – I believed it. Like, I, you know, I didn't get – I didn't really yell at the refs or anything like that, like, because, I mean, there's nothing I could do, and it would only make things worse uh, personally, you know, and then for your team it just kind of – it screwed things up. But – I mean, hell yeah. I thought it was a great game. I, you know, uh, I think we, you know, we, they had, they ran a fake punt like back in their own end zone, you know, like I think it ran like the 15 or 20 yard line. Urban calls a fake punt, you know, and that got them out. I mean, they just had a lot of little lucky little things that, you know, that kind of helped them out. But yeah, I mean, you know, thought that we did a hell of a job coming back the way we did. And, you know, all you can ask for is a, is a, is a chance or an opportunity at the end of the game to win the game. And, uh, and we were on, we were on that course. It just got taken away from us there at the end, but you know, is what it is. And it was funny, like you said that, you know, about the – there was some guy, some some guy with the ESPN production crew or something came out after the game and grabbed me and started talking to me. He's like, hey, I don't know. He goes, there was – he goes, you guys got screwed. You know, it was this, 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 this. And I didn't know who the guy was. And then all of a sudden he just ran off, you know. So I don't know what kind of messenger he was or who sent him or if no one sent him. I don't know. But, yeah, there's definitely something going on that day, though, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, got a little hairy out in the parking lot. I'll tell you outside the stadium afterwards, cause had all the Florida <laughs> fans out there with maybe a few too many cocktails and, you know, us Iowa people maybe had a few. I don't know. And, uh, yeah, it was yeah, a hot, was, day. <laughs> it was hot, hot day. And, uh, yeah, there was a lot of words coming from the Florida fans that telling us to go back to our farms and, you know, have a nice 20 hour ride back. And, you know, so that was, that was interesting, but, um, it definitely was, a ridiculous ending and you know something that you know never forget but hey like yeah. you said what can you do what can you, you do right you move on um i'm super intrigued um about your cfl career um definitely you go down as like a, a great cfl quarterback two great cups um 
you know, tell me a little bit about playing in the CFL, how that's different um, just between, you know, playing pro ball in the U.S. and the NFL and then playing in Canada. Are those players kind of seen at the same type of level in Canada as the NFL players are seen here? Uh, you know, I mean, as a professional football player, yeah, it's just the financial part that's not seen, right? I mean, everyone knows, you know, people in the NFL make millions, people in the CFL don't, right? Um, yeah. But it's still, you know, it's it's a thing for the communities, really. You know, there's uh, there's nine teams, nine cities, right? And so, you know, the cities, the, you know, other than Toronto and Vancouver, all the other cities really embrace their teams pretty well. They come out for games, they support them, they do this, they do that. Um, but but Canada is a hockey country. I mean, it really is, you know. And and uh, you know, hockey's number one there. Um, and it's so funny to me. And like, and I talk shit all the time to the Canadians. I'm like, all y'all do is talk about hockey, 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 and you still get your asses whooped by the Americans in hockey, like. Shit, I mean, I know people in America care about hockey, but not to the level y'all do. I mean, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, y'all can't even beat the Americans. Like, don't, man, don't talk to me about fucking hockey. I don't want to hear that shit. Like, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, uh, but football, I mean, there's a lot of play. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of players in the CFL that could play in the NFL. Uh, I mean, there really is. It's just, uh, you know, guys don't want to be a practice squad player or bounce around, bounce around. They just want to have a home and they want to play. And, uh, uh-huh. and I can relate to that. I was, a, I was one of those guys too. And, uh, but you know, to me, it's all about playing the best and being on the best. And so like, you know, there was times, I mean, like, yeah, I played in Canada cause I, I liked it. I mean, it was fun and stuff, but I always felt like I was kind of a loser in a way. Like, and I don't, you know, it's just like, man, I'm sitting here in freaking Canada, like doing this when like guys I'm better than and kick their ass high school and college they're up there making that money like so you know i'd go through that stuff too but uh yeah. but it was like you know it's like uh it's character development i mean so now you're you know i was playing the best football in high school the you know the the highest class in texas you know then i go to the big 10 right so from a personal standpoint i'm like i don't want to go to canada i don't want to go to canada but okay if i got to go to canada to get back here yeah fuck it let's do it right um and it never happened. It, it it took me five years to start my first game because I was behind like older vets. And then when I finally got my shot, I just got hurt every time. And so, but I still wanted to stay up there because I knew at that point I wanted to coach. So I felt like getting as much playing experience as I could would help me as a coach. And then, uh, you know, I thought it would help me get jobs too, you know, being a professional quarterback and stuff. So there was that stuff, but it's, uh, you know, it's a summer game to the Canadians. You know, that's all it is. It's just a summer game to them and uh, they enjoy it. Uh, the great cup's a big deal there's been a hundred and something of those i don't know the exact number but you know the cfl's been around a long time and uh the guys are great the locker rooms are great you know i mean you kind of have to be to you know especially in my opinion as an american to leave america's sport to go to another country to play america's sport you know you already gotta you know there's something to be said for that you know and then the canadians like a lot of those guys dream about playing in the CFL. Like the Americans don't dream about playing in the CFL at all. Like it's just, yeah. oh, okay, it's a job, right? So, and, uh, you know, but, you know, it's, there's a lot of good things. You know, there's a lot of questionable things because, you know, like I said, it goes back to the money. Well, they'd like to cut corners. So they do everything as cheap as possible. Well, you know, anything you get what you pay for, right? And so, uh, you know, there's a lot of that stuff. I remember my first game in Canada. <laughs> and this is where I was just kind of like, oh my God. So my first game in Canada, you know, it's it's hot in the summer there in the prairies in Saskatchewan. These guys, you know, they're like, they're dying. You know, the Canadians, they think 80 degrees is hot. 
And I'm like, y'all would die. Y'all wouldn't make it three hours in Texas, like playing football. Um, and so, you know, they're coming in huffing and puffing. I said, man, why don't y'all just go to the trainer and get an IV? And everyone looked at me like I had a third arm growing out of my chest. And, I, <laughs> and they're like, we don't have IVs. I said, whoa, what? So then I went and talked to the you know team doctor and stuff. And then I said, why don't we have IVs? Like, so we can be running by running like horses by the fourth quarter. This doctor told me you can get hydrated just as fast by drinking water than getting an IV. And so that's when I was kind of like, oh boy, like, all right. Like, I don't know. Do I need to go back home now? Like, you know, it's kind of one of those things. Right. And so, so, you know, there's that, there's that part of the game. The football part is great. It's just the, the, the business side is squirrely, you know, the medical side is really squirrely and stuff like that. But if you love football, that's what you do. And, you know, I'm married to the game because of my dad. So I was going to play until I couldn't until either they didn't want me or I didn't want them. It was going to be one of those two. Well, you know how diehard Hawkeye fans are. And so, you know, fans didn't just stop thinking about Drew Tate when you left Iowa. So we were always getting on the internet, getting on, you know, every CFL website we can to follow how you were doing and how things were going, you know, looking things up online as much as possible. It was just always frustrating because why in the hell is this never on TV? Like, yeah. you know, you know, Americans will consume every ounce of football they can. And you got a pro league that doesn't compete directly with the NFL. Why in the hell wouldn't that be on TV? Especially in the summer. That's what I yeah. never understood either, especially from uh, June to August. I mean, there's no football. And it's, and it's good football. There's pretty good football. Now, it looks like a Chinese fire drill because you got just people running all over the place with the downhill motions and stuff. But it's still football. I mean, I'm doing this fan-controlled football, and it's – I mean – it's like arena ish, but I mean, it's even like, it's even a little bit more backyard ish. Like, I mean, it's crazy, but people are watching it. I mean, cause you're right. It's football. It still has all the same components, you know, throwing, catching, running, tackling, blocking. There's no kicking in the FCF, but, uh, and I think, you know, people, I think maybe why, you know, the CFL kind of gets a bad, you know, people just don't understand the rules in America, you know, like the kicking game is big up there. They have goofy rules with the kicking game and then the end zones and the goalposts and the field size. So, I mean, people, don't like what they don't know, you know, yeah. for the most part. And so, you know, and they just like their own game, which is fine. Yeah. I mean, I like the four down game too, but the three down game is fun because it's faster. It's more throwing. There's bigger plays usually, you know, with two minutes left in the game, there's still a lot of football in Canada, two minutes left in the, in a, in a, in a 11 man ball. It's pretty much over, you know, yeah. you're only going to have one or two drives, but up in Canada with the three downs, hell you can get like four or five drives in the last two minutes of a game. Keep it really interesting. Do they still play with a bigger ball? It's 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 like shh, it's more compact and fatter than okay. the NFL ball. The NFL ball is a little more ovalish and a little more longer. Was that a big idea, adjustment? Was that an adjustment learning to throw that? Nah, it rolls off your hand really good because it's fatter. Okay. Um, and the idea is to be able to catch it and kick it better because it's fatter, right? Okay. So, because, like I said, the kicking game is a legit third of the game because of three downs. So you're punting an awful lot, you know, or, or kicking off or kicking extra points or field goals and stuff like that. And then, you know, if you miss a field goal, miss a whatever, it can be returned because the goalposts are at the front of the end zone with the 20-yard end zone. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. You know, there's just a lot of little different rules and intricacies that come with it. Uh, it took me a while to learn the game. The, the biggest adjustment to me up there was protections. That was the biggest adjustment for me because, like, coming from Iowa, where is the most, you know, structured protection that I've been around in my life, like, it's this. And then if this happens, we're hot here. But in Canada, I mean, you got guys – 
coming from all over the place and they're and then they're like no you're not hot here like oh yeah you are you're hot here like and me i'm coming from man i'm getting that fucking ball out of my hands if that guy blitzes like because i don't want to take a sack i want to get into my guy's hands in space so he can do something with it instead of just turn catch get hit like no like so that so protections took me a while up in canada and then up there you know it's so they think one protection can pick everything up except cover zero and i'm like no that cannot happen like stop trying to pick everything up you can't do it it's okay to throw hot like throwing hot is not a bad thing in my opinion because if you're throwing hot that means it's one-on-one so if you catch it and they miss the tackle well now you turn six into 60 you know what i'm saying Uh so throwing hot to me is an advantage on the offense in my opinion that's how i would teach it that's how i'm going to teach it as a coach so fuck let them let them blitz we're going to throw hot every time that's it like that's that's your answer (laughs) i don't believe you can unless you have an nfl line i don't believe you can pick it all up like it's just you know you got to have really good players to pick up everything and and usually those players aren't in the CFL. <laughs> with all due respect. <laughs> that's that's interesting though. I had no idea about all that. So that's that's well because you know there's there's twelve players so there's an extra blitzer. Mm. So it just kind of changes everything. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. I did not know that. Um, what did I uh, talk to you also about? Um, earlier before the season started before uh, back in spring i believe before covid really blew up and it might even been a little earlier than spring um the iowa football staff had you do a zoom call with the quarterbacks and um you were able to talk to them share some knowledge uh what type of things were talked about on that call and um what what questions were they asking you you know it was it was it was you know what was it what's it like you know because they're all young quarterbacks none of them had started yet for them right and so, you know, it was like, what's it like being a starting quarterback, you know, on the field, off the field, mentally, emotionally, physically, right? You know, dealing with that kind of uh, having that kind of job, you know, you know, Tom Brady wakes up at home, drives to the stadium, does his job and drives home. Like, that's kind of easy, in my opinion. But when you're yeah. the starting quarterback at Iowa, you are always around your peers everywhere you go. You got to go to class, you know, you got to go. I mean, everywhere you go in Iowa City, you're around your peers. So like, like literally, I mean, and I told those guys, I mean, hell, after that, after that pass in LSU, I mean, I'd walk into Coralville Mall and the whole mall would just stop and stare at me. And I thought like, you know, I'm like, damn, I got a bug hanging or something. Like what, what's going on here, guys? Like, I, like I put my pants on just like, it was weird to me at first to just have that much attention. I was like, there's something wrong with these people. Like, I don't understand, you know, like, but no, that's, that's what it's like being the quarterback at Iowa. And then, you know, being lucky enough to have a play like that on your, on your resume. Right. So just dealing with that is just in itself a different animal, just a horse of a different, a different color. And so, you know, it was just that, you know, and then I wasn't a strong student. Like, like, I mean, if it wasn't for football and baseball, I wouldn't have gone to college. Like, no, no, like I just wouldn't have done it. And so, you know, being, having to balance that life, you know, and then my senior year, cause I didn't redshirt, you know, I went to two summer schools and then my senior year, day three on Thursday, I got to take a night class, you know? So I, you know, I got to leave practice early as a senior. Right. And so, you know, that, that sucked to be honest with you. And, uh, you know, cause they're so, Hey, you got to graduate, you got to graduate at Iowa. Right. And, and I get it. I, I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad they pushed me to it, but you know, it's like, look, I can always come back and freaking graduate. Like, let me just take care of football right now. You know, that kind of thing. Um, so there, you know, there's that. And then, 
you know, what what is it like being a pro quarterback? And as I was able to play 11 pro seasons and 12 pro postseasons, you know, so it's a long time to play pro ball. And so, you know, what's it like being a pro? Well, the thing about being in Canada is your resources suck. I mean, that's just the, that's just the only way I can put it, you know, so you have to be very proactive on taking care of yourself and your body because, you know, you're just not, you don't have the resources available to do that. So, you know, I learned a lot about, you know, eating right, sleeping right, you know, basically you become a time manager. And so that's what I told these quarterbacks was, you know, you know, don't be a football player. Don't be a student, be a time manager. There's a time for everything. You have 24 hours in the day, boom, eight of those, you know, you're going to be sleeping, hopefully at least seven. So now, okay, now we've got, uh, well, we got 16 hours left. What are you going to do in those 16? Okay, well, six of those 16 or seven of those 16, you got class. So you got to do that. Boom. So now we're only back down to about eight hours left. What are you going to do with those eight hours? You know, then prioritize. You know, I got to study my playbook. I got to do treatment. You know, I've got to do uh, extra, you know, you know, uh, like rollouts. You know, I got to do extra stuff on my shoulder and arm and stuff that, you know, unless I have an injury, you know, I'm not getting treatment on that. Uh, but you know, just how to manage your time. Cause there's a time for everything. And coach O'Keefe was great with it with me. Cause he taught me, I didn't learn it while I was there. Cause I was still young and stupid. I didn't get it until after I left him that I, that I, that I started making sense. So he used to make me, he'd, he'd give me these uh, weekly planner sheets. And so I have to fill them out every week and turn them into them, you know, and it would basically, all right, at eight o'clock I got class or at six o'clock I'm waking up seven o'clock. I got, you know, workouts, eight o'clock, I got class all the way to one. And then, okay, I'm with you, you know, and then, you know, 6 p.m. Okay, I've got, I got to study. And then at 7 p.m., I got to, you know, I got to study schoolwork. 8 p.m., I got to study football, you know, and then 9 p.m., hopefully I got an hour left to actually go be a college kid, you know, because I'm not the kind of, you know, I like to think that my feathers are pretty bright on me. So, like, I don't want to be in a fucking cage, to be honest with you. Like, okay, whenever I got done being, you're a student athlete for 20 hours or 18 hours. Damn, I'm going to at least need an hour just to blow off some steam just to get it out of my system. You know, like that's just kind of yeah. that was who I am and still is kind of who I am. And so, you know, that was when I would, you know, be a college student, you know, as much as I could. Uh, but, you know, so teaching them that stuff. I mean, it's just more of stuff like that, you know, you know. The job in itself of being in Iowa and then being a pro quarterback and then the, and then the Canadian game, you know, is there opportunity? How is it? What's it like? Because it's unknown, really. They don't they don't they don't broadcast like you said much here in the states, which is unfortunate because it's you know ha- it's mostly Americans and the Americans are the better players, and so you know it's like well, you know, we had guys from Alabama, you know, Michigan State, you know, so I mean we had you know some some pretty good players from those places and a lot of them you know they, they'll get lucky they'll come up play a year or two do a good job and they go back down you know they yeah. get another shot down there so it was mostly just that and then you know it was crazy i they uh brian ferentz invited me to come up for all of spring and so shit i was ready to come up there and just kind of tag along and be around in the offices i really wanted to watch like i wanted to sit in the old line meetings i wanted to just because at iowa i mean hell i i know i was playbook as far as pass game and stuff i mean in, in the run game but i want to be in iowa's offense or in their meeting rooms how they're teaching their own line how they're teaching their tight ends like i was really looking forward to that and then yeah then the COVID thing hit so it all got kiboshed so didn't get a chance to make it up there and then i talked to coach o'keefe about a week ago and asked him about spring ball and he said that they're not letting anyone like no visitors basically so that got kiboshed again so that's why i said well shit screw all this um 
I was actually going to go after Iowa. I had a job at a Division three school in North Carolina, Greensboro College. I was going to be the quarterback OC, so I was pretty geeked about that. But then COVID hit, knocked out that whole Division three thing, and so I said, "There's too much uncertainty. You know, we don't really know what the hell's going to happen. Why not just come back home? Because I hadn't been at home since high school, really." And so, so I came back home and then I said, well, shit, I'm going to be a high school coach then. I at least want to get my certification because once you have your certification, you can put that in your back pocket. Now you can go chase any dream you want. You got a fallback plan. So that's why I'm trying to, I'm trying to secure my fallback plan right now, actually. All right. Okay. Well, that's, that's awesome. I think that'll, that's a great fallback plan. Um, you know, maybe there's, you know, another, you know, future in, in college football as a G, you know, GA or positions yeah. coach or anything, you know, the endless, endless possibilities. But, you know, with COVID, it just kind of shut yeah. everything down and made it tough, I'm sure. Well, here, here, here's another thing, too, that, that, that kind of hurt me playing up in Canada for so long was the GA positions. I, I've had a lot of GA opportunities, but I'm too old to be a GA. They came out with a rule, and I don't know what year. It might have been 2016 or something like that. You could only be a GA if you were if you were done playing within those eight years because, you know, these coaches were hiring their buddies and doing all this, and they were getting these positions, but they weren't going to class. They weren't doing anything that a GA is supposed to do. So the NCAA kiboshed that and said you have to be a post-grad of no more than eight years, Well, which is fucked up, to be honest with you, because, hell, I'm doing my job. I've been doing my job for 12 years. Like, you would think there would be some kind of, uh, you know, asterisk or some kind of, oh, well, if he's been playing ball, then, you know, you get, you get, you know, you know, you could you could be a GA, but I've heard that the NCAA is trying to maybe manipulate that a little bit. But at that point, I don't want to be a GA because I'll be too old. Yeah, well, Terry Bowden, I believe it was, was like a GA at Clemson. Just like in the last couple of years, he had gotten um, a let go. I can't remember where he was at. If it was Kent State or where it was, but um, I remember watching an interview with Dabo Sweeney. He was like, "Yeah, I got a." We've got an application. He's like, I thought it was like a typo or something. And this guy's like, you know, in his early seventies and he was applying to be a GA and he actually was a GA at Clemson for one season, I think. And then he moved on, but yeah, I thought that was weird. Super weird. But that's why they had these things, you know, quality controls and analysts. And so that's why my first job when I retired with Joe Molia was defensive analyst. Because, I mean, shit, we had another analyst in there. He was a friend of Joe's. Hell, he was like 85 years old, you know, and he was watching offense and stuff. So, it, yeah, I think you can get away with the QCs and analysts. But the GAs, yeah, they because they got to go to class, I guess. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. Um, and we don't want to, t- I don't want to take up all your time today because I know you don't have a ton of free time with, with coaching and everything, but wanted to ask you one last thing with your, um, w- w- with your professional playing career, college playing career, and, you know, the years of coaching that you have under your belt that you're still, you know, growing as a coach. Uh, I don't know how much Iowa football you've been able to watch this last year with uh, Spencer Patris being out there, but just wanted to get your take on what you've seen from him and what you feel like his potential is. Well, I think his potential is through the roof. Um, and what I've seen is a raw quarterback. I mean, a very, very raw quarterback. Uh, just, you know, he's young. He didn't have a spring and he didn't have a fall camp. You know, and he didn't have uh, non-conference games. So, I mean, it's, you know, I think that's the first Iowa quarterback that's ever been in that situation. And being put in that situation and being as raw as he is, hell, I thought he played his ass off. I thought he did a great job. And you could see improvement a little bit every game, every game. And I watch as much as I can. You know, um, 
Brian Farrington and I were, were, were damn near roommates in college. So, you know, I stay in contact with him as much as possible and I'm rooting for him. And, and so I, hell yeah, I want to watch. I want to see, you know, what he's doing offensively and then what the players are doing. Are they getting better? I mean, does it fit them and stuff like that? And the thing about Spencer, um, you know, and I did an interview not too long ago, you just you gotta you gotta you can't just have one pitch in your in your count. You know you can't just have a fastball. You know some throws. You know you have to finesse. You have to put touch on. Um, you have to throw receivers open. You know I mean if they're covered, you got to be able to have really good ball placement to throw them open. And he's young, and that'll come. Like I said, uh, him having a spring this year and hopefully a camp. Uh, you know he'll get even better. He'll make another step like that. Um, I know they're you know they're high on some other quarterbacks, and so. That's only going to make Spencer and those other quarterbacks even better. Is the competition? Competition brings out the best in everyone. You know, it's a it's a it's a make or break. I think for most people, and then as a coach, that's how you evaluate. You can see who can handle it and who can't. Um, but I think he's got. A, I think his potential's through the roof. I mean, he's a big guy with a big arm. You know, it's just you know, all right, my feet. I've got my feet wet. I've got a year underneath me. Was it a full year? No, it wasn't a full year, but you've played enough ball now to where you better be coming out, you know, you know, throwing strikes. I mean, because if not, you know, you got these other quarterbacks too. But uh, And that's a challenge. And, you know, and I would say that to him just from a quarterback to a quarterback, you know, if the players are there, you got to make the play, you know, or you've got to make that throw. And, you know, and, and, you know, you can't throw a flat route the same you do a comeback route. You just can't do it. You know, you just, it, it, it's a different, you know, it's just a, you know, you've got to lead them more to the boundary. You got to put a little bit more touch on it. So it's easier for those guys, you know, as opposed to a comeback, you got to kind of rip it in there. It's a little different. Um, but, you know, I'm excited for him. I know they're, uh, they're, they're excited for him and then the, the quarterback room. So, uh, again, I think, it, you know, just with this goofy year, I think he'll, he'll definitely take a step, step forward. Yeah, like you said, you could really see the progression as the year went on. And with those first couple games, it was tough. Um, I think the team as a whole struggled those first few games, but they really got their feet under them. It looked like week three and yeah. it really started to play better as the season went on. And, you know, it, w- it was just too bad they weren't able to play the bowl game at the end of the year because, you know, Missouri just flopped and sent all their kids home at, cri- or at Christmas so they wouldn't have to play, which was ridiculous. So they all had they – had They didn't COVID. want that smoke. They don't no. want that smoke. Because I remember when I was in college, we were going to play them, and they said, nah, we're not, we don't want to play them. They don't they want that smoke. Out. Yeah, yeah, they backed out. Missouri don't want none of Iowa. Shit, I'll tell them all that to their faces. They don't want that smoke. No, no. sir. No. And they knew what was going to happen. They got a new coach and they're building a program and they had a little bit of a better year than, than they thought. So they had some momentum. They didn't want to run into the brick wall that was Iowa at that time. And there was going to be, I think, a smackdown that was going to happen down in the Music City Bowl. And I think we all did. And I think they saw the writing on the wall. And that's why a lot of, I think, I think multiple teams this year, like if there was a game they didn't want to play, COVID. Absolutely. I believe that too. I'm with you hundred percent on that. I, I truly, truly, truly believe that because these people don't want to be getting embarrassed. No, I mean, I, I felt that way about Michigan multiple times this year. Uh, that was one program <laughs> that like I respected more than any other program in the country. They pulled the COVID card on Ohio state. And then when they had to play us, they pull, pulled the COVID card. It's just like, you, you don't see teams like that pulling a COVID card when they had to play Rutgers, you know, something like that it, it, or Illinois. It, it's not happening. So exactly. Exactly. You know. Especially when you're on the hot seat. No, nah, I'm not playing Iowa if I'm on the hot seat. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> exactly. Hey, Drew, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. And, you know, all the Iowa fans and us in Nebraska Hawks Nest are going to keep our eyes on you. And, you know, really, really are rooting for you. Uh, you're, you really got what it takes I feel to be a great football coach and we hope you continue to stick with it. Stay the course because man, that, that coaching journey, that is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It takes time to, to really work your way up. And, you know, we're all watching you. We're rooting for you and you're, you're going to do great things someday. So good luck with fan controlled football and uh, coaching high school football down in Texas. And we all know there's great things to come from you in the future. Yeah. Appreciate it. No, thanks for having me on. It was a good time. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I love talking to you, man. I'll have to do it again sometime. We'll hopefully reach back out. But, hey, thanks again, Drew. And, hey, go Hawks. Go Hawks.